Raw Retailer Podcast, where we talk retail, business, and all things related to the hot tip industry. I'm your host, Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. Today on the Spa Retailer Podcast, I have Michael Boswell with Signs and Displays Direct out of Bradley, Illinois. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. No, it's great to be here, Megan. So um, kind of a different sort of guest for us than usual. Typically, we're talking to retailers and manufacturers in the hot tub industry, but you've got some hot industry experience. You actually work with several hot tub retailers and manufacturers. Yes, we do. So I've actually worked in the industry since 2000, and oh. I've worked with manufacturers and retailers. On the manufacturer side, we do turnkey, no inventory POP programs. And then we work with the manufacturer to figure out which types of displays and graphics will work best for their dealer network depending on square footage, what kind of you know, size, the layout, what have you. And then we produce everything on demand so that we can do dealer logo merges on graphics, what have you. But the key is the manufacturer does not have to inventory or do any fulfillment. Yeah, I'm sure they love, I'm sure they love that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, our mantra is we make your life easier. So that's what we try to do. So how did you get into this? How did you get into this business doing? Because you you don't just do like making of the products, but you actually help them figure out the best marketing and merchandising for their store and their product. Exactly. We try to be a one-stop solution to where we can work with retailers, either physically going out or by then sending us photos. And what we do is we say, to take pictures of your store from the outside and then as a customer would enter your store and then the typical path that they mm -hmm. take within it. So this way we can see what the customer sees because the sale actually starts outside the store. Mm -hmm. So from a visual merchandising standpoint, we take into account the location, what's the traffic flow, what's the directions, how fast is the traffic outside the store? Are you at an intersection where people are going to be stopped? and have more time to see what you've got going on, all of that type of stuff. And then on the inside, you know, we you know, do it to where it's a multifaceted approach. But the two keys with it are, is the fact that all your visual merchandising needs to push both the emotional button and the logical button. I want to get more into that, but I got to hear a little bit more about your background. Like, How did you end up in this business? <laughs> it was just by chance, actually. That's how so, most of us ended up in our pants. Yeah, exactly. It's, I didn't wake up one day and go, you know what? I need to be in the pool and spa industry. Nobody I got to get involved with hot tubs. <laughs> it was a case of where I'm a serial entrepreneur. And throughout is everything that I would do. I would gather people, like-minded entrepreneurs. And through all the different things I've done, I've been in radio. I worked in the automotive business then into visual merchandising. And then in 06, I started my current company, which of which Signs and Displays Direct is part of. And what I did is all those people that I had made contacts with, designers and visual merchandisers, and sales, and marketing people, what have you, and then formed the agency. And then, so now 
we can be, it's one of those situations where the, your journey is leading you to, to some point. And for me, it was the point that I could create an agency and work with all these great people that I had met along the way to be able to offer companies, especially we really focus on the consulting side, on entrepreneurs, small businesses, startups, what have you, mm -hmm. to provide them access to the business and advertising agency type services that aren't usually available to those types of businesses. When you start a business, when you're first starting out, like obviously marketing is part of your plan, but usually you're doing it yourself. <laughs> exactly. And the thing is, I don't care whether yeah, it's you or me or any business owner, we are good at the skill set that we have. Yeah. But there's all those other things that need to be done that yeah, the business owner just doesn't have that skill set. So you need to bring people in. However, most startups, most small businesses don't have the payroll to cover all of those positions because mm -hmm. you really don't need them 24-7. Yeah. And so I always think that, especially when it comes to your marketing, I always think it's good to have multiple eyes on it. And sometimes eyes from outside your company to say, yeah, I don't really think that wording works. I'm not sure that people actually know what that is. I think only you guys know what that is. <laughs> exactly. It's the proverbial forest for the trees. When you're so engrossed in something, you know what you want. So your perception is, if I do, this is going to happen. But from the outside, you can look at it and say, on one hand, yeah, that could be the case. However, there's all these other elements that, are, that come into play that... You don't get to see when you're inside. Yeah. So think, that's where we come in. Yeah. And I think that's especially true for your visual merchandising in your store. It is so easy after you've walked through the same doors for however many years to just kind of go blind to what's around you. Someone else comes in with fresh eyes and they're like, hey, why has that box been sitting there for three years? <laughs> and you're like, oh, right. These things just kind of, you stop seeing them. And it's good to have someone else come in and say, that handwritten sign that you have over there under your chemicals was nice when you wrote it five years ago, but maybe it's time to update it. <laughs> I liken it, Megan, to proofreading your own writing. You know what those words are supposed to be or say. So when you read it, you're reading what you think they should be, not what's actually on the paper. Oh, it's so true. People so are that, always like, people get nervous to send me their writing because I'm quote unquote a writer. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> if you saw anything, a first draft of any of my stuff, like there is a reason that we have an editing process for everybody. <laughs> I am my own worst proofreader by far because they say, I'll skip it. Go, I know what this is supposed to say. I know what my intent is here. However, the printed word doesn't always convey that in the, in the proper way. And I think probably when it comes to visual merchandising, this makes people nervous because when you start talking about those kinds of changes, they just start to see dollar signs. Exactly. And the thing is, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. We always try to do everything from a value standpoint. And one of the things that we tell people is visual merchandising is sales materials. It's not just pretty pictures. If you simply use them as pretty pictures, not the sales devices that they are, they won't benefit you like they should. Yeah, one has to take into account 
a lot of different factors when doing the visual merchandising. It's not just about making it pretty, which you obviously want to do. <laughs> you don't want to have a junky right. look at the store, but at the same time, there's a method to the madness. So let's talk a little bit about the method then. So when you go into a business, particularly a hot tub retailer, what are some of the things that you are immediately looking to that often can be easily improved? As you said, it's not uncommon to go into a store and see handwritten notes, yeah, sale, this much money. And right. when you're asking somebody to make a large purchase, in most cases, that presentation has to match the value of the item being sold. There's a reason why you know, a Lexus dealer looks fancier than a Toyota dealer, even though Toyotas are excellent cars. And a lot of the parts are the same between the Toyota and Lexus. The Lexus costs more, the presentation is better. It's the same thing with any type of product, but especially in selling pools and spas, a hot tub, swim spas, what have you, because these are products that are wants, in most cases, not needs. So you have to justify the expense of those items, which mm -hmm. means it's back to satisfying both the emotional side of it and the logical side of it. Yeah. And there's something about an expensive product with a handwritten sign like marked down sale. When I see that as a customer, I think that there's something wrong with it. Or I just think, well, they just can't sell this. So it's like, there's maybe there's not something wrong with it, but it's like, it's undesirable in some way that nobody else wants to buy this particular model. As opposed to when you walk in and someone has a sale and they have nice signage and it looks like this is something that they planned, not something that just happened to happen to them. <laughs> not only that, but it also reflects on the store itself. Because if you've got an item that's fairly expensive, and your present, that's the only amount of effort you're willing to put into marketing this item. It makes customers question if they don't really seem to care <laughs> enough to make it look nice. What kind of a service am I going to get on the back end? Are they going to care about me once I've made the purchase? So see, there, there's so many things that go into it. But even if somebody does a, we'll say like a minimalist yeah, type retail thing where you're a warehouse, you're a broker, you're the, the deal. Even then you still have to do all the same things that somebody doing an upscale presentation has to do. The difference is in the style of the graphics. They have to match. You know, all of that stuff needs to match a, the type of product that you're selling. It also needs to match the demographics of your customers. They have to, it has to be relatable to them. And then the other part of it, when it comes to your imaging, everybody wants to live at one social class above where they are. Mm -hmm. So if you can present these, yeah, the spas and what have you in a way that makes them feel like if I purchase this item, I can attain a little bit of that social level that I aspire to. Mm -hmm. So you have to play on the aspirational aspect of the purchase as well, which gets back to that emotional side of it. Yeah. And, and I love that. Yeah. I love the idea of the actual font and graphics that you use being part of the, being part of the equation. And also I feel like that's really the time when maybe you need an expert or a designer, right? Because 
I, so I love fonts and all of that stuff. I'm horrible at choosing them. Absolutely horrible. <laughs> like you, if you show me something, I can be like, yes, that's good. Yes, that's bad. But ask me to pick it myself. It will be a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> that stuff is really hard. And I think that there is a reason why people are trained in this stuff, go to school for it and study design and learn all of these things, because it's not easy for just the average person to come in and be like, oh, I like this font, or let's do a font with this kind of kerning. And I want it to be sans serif or whatever it is like. And I love that it does all tie together. Those things all matter. And you're right. If you're doing a discount store, that doesn't mean that your signs are should look trashy, like just they should meet the expectation of your customer. And the same thing if you're doing the high end. Yeah, you don't want to have that out of date <laughs> <laughs> font that everybody laughs at. You don't want to have a Comic Sans font. Okay, I'm just going to say it. If you're doing that warehouse type presentation, you don't want to be using script fonts that look calligraphy or what have you. Right. It just doesn't work. It's so incongruent that people will just look at it and go, this just isn't right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as you said, with your graphics, you have to make sure that your fonts match the presentation. Your colors have to match because different colors elicit a different response. It's one of those things to where there's so many elements that have to work together for it to be pleasing that one person can't look at it and go, okay, here's what you need to do this I'm and I'm done. There's, there's, there's a lot more to it. You talk about it needing to... It, it needs to be attractive to them both logically and emotionally. What does that really mean? Is that just how they feel when they're looking at stuff? What does that look like in practice? That gets to the content of the graphics. You have to have part of it that appeals to that aspirational aspect. If I purchase this tub, my life will be better because I can live like the people in those photos. Mm -hmm. On the logical side of it, you have to show why yeah, the customer should spend the money on this, justify the build quality, all the things that they're getting in return for it, the health aspects, mm -hmm. all those things that are legitimate benefits to them. However, a picture of a couple in a spa doesn't convey that information mm -hmm. that appeals to the emotional side of it, but it doesn't tell them you're going to get this and you're going to benefit from the health aspects. You're buying a quality product. That's, that's not going to be you know, uh, not working tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So you have to strike a balance. You don't want to overdo either one of them. You have to, it's like everything in life is all about finding balance. And I like going back to just knowing who you are and what you're about and knowing who your customer is and what they're about. And it's not hard. I mean, you like if you sat down and talked to a retailer, what does your average customer look like? What does what do they care about? It would not take them very long to put together that list. So you just you take that list, you sit back and you say, what appeals to this person? What are their pain points? What are they looking for? And then that's your starting point. Like, we do the same thing at the magazine. It's who is our audience? You know, it's, and we look at each story and say, do they care about this? Does this person care about this thing? Sometimes the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> Any promotion, for example. Yeah. When people see a sale flyer or what have you, the first question that they ask themselves is what's in it for me? 
how do I benefit from this? Yes. If there's the no benefit for them, you're not going to bring them in the first place. Yes. The age old sales thing. What is it? What's in it for me? W-I-F something, whatever they do for that acronym. <laughs> yep. Exactly. That's something that will hold, it held true years ago and it will forever. Yeah. Because it's a selfish purchase, if you will, because mm -hmm. it's not benefiting anybody at the outside. It's for you, your family, whomever. So you have to look out for, for those actually using the product. So with that in mind, I always tell people too, is yeah, with the, when you do your advertising, a lot of stores will do newspaper inserts or ads or what have you. And they're always bright and vibrant. They're exciting. A lot of stuff's going on. If you don't carry that emotion over to the, to your store, all that excitement that you built up in that ad and all that money that you spent to get those people into the store, you now just let the air out of the balloon because sure. you've got them all pumped up. Then if they get to your store and it's just very blah, now you're starting all over again. Yeah. Now you had them partially won because you, what you did brought them in. But now if you've let all that air out of the balloon and the excitement's gone, now you've got to work a lot harder to build that excitement back up. So I always say that if you were to throw a Super Bowl party, you would have football decorations, Super Bowl decorations up. A sale flyer is like a party invitation. Your store has to represent that excitement that brought them mm -hmm. in the first place. And that's where, starting from the outside, the visual merchandising you know, starts to work. Yeah. And I picture too, every hot tub manufacturer does great photo shoots that show off their products, these really beautiful lifestyle shots that are high end and they're luxurious looking. The dealers use those in their own promotions. And then, yeah, I imagine people show up at the store and they're like, oh, this is not what I was expecting. <laughs> exactly. I was expecting this luxurious atmosphere and I got the, I got the warehouse. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of, you know, if you're booking a vacation and you're looking at hotels online and they did fantastic photos and you get there and the place is a dump. You're like, I really don't know if I want to sleep here. Man, that it's happens a... too. And it's so disappointing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's where I say, now you've got to work twice as hard to win those people back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And given how much it costs to bring people in the first place, you don't want right. to squander that money. What's the biggest mistake hot tub retailers make in their visual merchandising? What's something that's, what's a common thing that you see people do? Poor placement of product. Yeah, they have to, you want to do it to where they're basically directional signage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'd be like going into a neighborhood, trying to find somebody's house that you haven't been to without any street signs or house. Mm -hmm. Because when you've got product on the floor, a lot of times, because let's face it, spas, hot tubs, swim spas, they're all big. So unless you have a very large store, it's very easy to get into that clutter effect. Sure. Not only with product, but also with your visual merchandising. And a lot of times you'll go in and they'll say, hey, we got all the banners that are available from the manufacturers, but now you can't see anything because they're blocking your line of sight. Mm -hmm. You have to place it to where people can still find them th yeah, their way through. You don't want to feel like you're going through a rainforest and you can't see anything because mm -hmm. of all the foliage in your way. So keeping your both product and displays positioned to where they're attractive. They guide people to where you want them to go, but also don't make it difficult for them to actually navigate their way through the store. 
Yeah. And I liked what you said at the beginning, like when you first start working with someone, you have them give you that whole visual from start to finish, right? What's it like walking into the store? What direction do you turn? And, and it's, again, that's, it's not, it's not a hard thing to, to measure. You sit in your store and you watch the next five or six people who come in and see their patterns. And it's interesting too, because sometimes you are inadvertently pushing them in a direction that you don't actually want them to go. You want them to turn towards the fancy, high-priced, new, whatever, but for whatever reason, you've got a shelf there that makes them have to go the other way. It feels more comfortable to them. There's a reason why milk is in the back wall of the convenience store. I know. They want you, they want you to go past everything else to do those impulse buys. Mm -hmm. In this industry, impulse buys aren't that big of a deal. However, there are those things that you need, your chemicals, all those things. You want to definitely draw attention to those because mm -hmm. that's your repeat business on that. However, you also, as you said, don't want to make it difficult for folks. Product placement, where you have those, the tubs on the floor. Yeah, a lot of times people will be, this is, then you kind of get into a feng shui type you know, mm. concept with it yeah where it's kind of like if you've ever been to a trade show and you'll see the booths where they have the table right along the aisle and you and it's like a fortress keeping you from going into the booth and your whole point is to get people in and talk to them and show them stuff if you've put up a wall they're not going to come in so same thing with a store if you walk in and you walk into a wall of spas you've made it difficult to get around everything yeah, now, I obviously there's some stores where they're just very small and you don't have a lot of floor space. So that's really your only option. However, then if that's your case, then it really becomes important to make sure that you can create that positive traffic flow through the store. That's also visually appealing and comfortable for the customer. Yeah, it's yeah, small is not small is not an excuse to to be cluttered. <laughs> exactly. I've seen some really beautiful, laid out, thought out, small locations that, that do the job really well. And I've also been in hot tub retail stores that are small or have a weird shape or whatever, and they have worked against themselves by just cramming every possible thing in there. And when you walk in as a consumer, it just, there's a, I don't know, you, your body feels a little tight too, but you don't feel open to the experience, you feel closed off and I don't, this doesn't make me feel nice. And you don't even honestly usually recognize what's happening. It's just your somatic response to that space. Yeah. You don't want to walk in and feel like some hoarder opened up a spa store. I don't, it feels like that sometimes. It does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, you get that retail flea market yeah. type feeling when you well, go yeah. in. They've been open for 20 years and you can find stuff for every 20 years in there <laughs> as, you, exactly. as you go along. It's just maybe move further back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The longer it's been there, you can judge how long it's been there by the amount of dust sitting on top oh, of the, the dust. Product. That too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but there, there's so just so many things that come into play that say when you're involved in the day to day, you don't have time to think about it. And you've got to take care of the things that have to be taken care of to keep the store going. All those things that actually increase sales and drive customer loyalty and drive return sales, 
those unfortunately a lot of times get put on the back burner. Yeah. I mean, we all, I think we all have those stores that we go back to just because we like being in them. I do. Mm -hmm. There's definitely places that it's like, if I'm nearby and even if I don't need to buy something, there are those places that I will go into just because it feels nice. I like what they sell. It's just fun to look at, even if I'm not in the market, even if it's a high ticket item or small, it just feels good to be in there. And if you have the time and you're nearby, why not? That's yeah, the whole atmospheric aspect of it. When you create a positive, comfortable atmosphere for people and you combine that with customer service where everybody's friendly and you have that bond with your customers, now you've created something that's not just a retail go in, buy it and leave situation. As you said, if you can make people comfortable in there with the way it looks, with the way it smells, matching the music in your store. Yeah, to the atmosphere. That's all part of it. You're creating a destination, even if it's not one that you're going to go to daily or weekly. When you go, you spend more. Right. And the more time somebody spends in a store, the more money they tend to spend. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, like you can't not spend any money to do this. Like they, you do need to spend some money to make your store look great, to have your signs fit in with everything you want. But it's there is a certain aspect of it where it's once you get dialed in the look, the feel, you get those the structure in place, it makes it a lot more cost effective to change things out and move things around and get new stuff when you need to without you're not going out and buying new sign holders every year. Getting back to the point that these are sales tools is what they right. are. Yes, they they can be very pretty. However, they're sales tools. And once folks realize that's what they are and then use them as such, then the proverbial light bulb goes off. Oh, hey, then they realize that, hey, if I keep this imaging fresh, there's something new for them to see. Then now it becomes an ongoing sales process. Yes. Revenue generation, I should say, for it. Because if you go into it, it is no different for a customer, as you were saying, like when you work there. When you see the same thing day after day, you you become visually numb to it. Absolutely. And you don't see it. For customers, if they don't see something new, eh, I'm just going to get what I need and go. So you have to keep everything fresh. Keep that floor plan exciting looking as much as a floor plan can be exciting. <laughs> the thing is keeping it fresh to where mm -hmm. customers feel like there's something new going on all the time. And you notice that as a customer, like you, when you come in, you're like, oh, this is, you definitely pick up on those things. And especially like you said, when it's a store that you aren't going to go into every day, right? Like you're not, a hot chip store is a destination. It's not something that for the most part, you're going to just stop in every day just to see what's new. <laughs> so when you do go in, yeah, they should see something that's different or new. And even if it's not like if it's moved and looks fresh, it's, oh, we shifted the spa this way and we moved these plants over here and whatever it may be, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a big inventory turnover. It's just a matter of keeping things, like you said, fresh and clean and getting that sort of movement and energy in the store. Exactly. Because the other side of it, as you said, you, you don't want to move everything around. 
you know, because now you may, you go to the other extreme and now people are uncomfortable. It's kind of like when you go into right? a big box store, go into a grocery store and they move products around. It's like, wait a minute. I knew I got my bread in aisle three no. and now it's in aisle six. They, Nobody likes that. No, they, yeah. they remodeled our target a couple of years ago. And I, I still not sure I know my way around the store. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, of course, the retailers are looking at it going, yeah, everybody knows this is where they go. So they bypass these first four aisles. So we're going to mm-hmm. move it over here to get them through it. So when you freshen in, in this industry, yeah, it's not about, okay, we're going to put chemicals up front. No, we're going to put them in the back and we're going to put them on the east wall or the west wall, what have you. You want to have those destinations. It's about keeping those destinations looking fresh. This way you have that comfort aspect of it for the customer. It also allows you as a retailer to keep things departmentalized so right. it's easy to keep track of. However, how you present those different categories, that's the key. You can make each one of those seem fresh, seem like there's something new for them yeah, without going to the extreme. Yeah. How long should visual merchandising last? Like how long should these things be out? And then how long should they hold up? It's a two-parter. <laughs> it all depends. Yeah. Okay. The imaging that is for the sole purpose of satisfying the logical aspect of it, where it's the technical, you're showing the, the quality componentry, the build quality, what have you. That is more something that can stay out longer because that doesn't change too much. Where you place it, you want to do it. Now, your other, your lifestyle imaging, it's good to keep that seasonally fresh, especially if you're a retailer who uses your own photos. And if I always tell people, if you have photos that you can use of your own installs or what have you, Mm -hmm. those are fantastic because now you've just made those more, your imaging more relatable to people because they see it and like, oh, I know that I recognize that house or what have you. And it also gets back to that whole aspirational thing, you know, where I you know, tell folks, use photos from not the nicest, not the biggest house that you've done, but the second nicest one. Because yeah. if it's too big, people will look at it and say, oh, I can't afford that. Look at that house. I can't, yeah, can't do that. Now they start questioning whether they can afford that spa because, that spa's associated with a monster house. So you want to make sure that you, your imaging stays aspirational, but not untouchable. I feel like a lot of people go out and like their delivery guy will snap an install pick. Do you think it's worth the money sometimes to actually send out a real photographer and get nice shots of these installations? It definitely helps. That's not always in the budget for people. And the thing there is if you take a photo, you can always have somebody else touch it up for you. As long as there's enough room in the photo to crop it and A, the resolution is high enough to begin with, which fortunately now, most, even your less expensive phones have got cameras that are better than what a good digital camera was not that many years ago. Yeah. So that part of it isn't bad. It really comes down to the, the framing of the shot and where the angle that it was taken from. As long as they can do that, they mm-hmm. can send it, have somebody who is good at photo retouching and you know, turn that into a nice shot. That's a good point. I don't tend to think about that, but you're right. If you do have someone who's good at that, you can make an okay shot look pretty special. The thing is now, uh, whereas in the past, for the people, if you didn't have a camera or didn't take photos regularly, 
you really didn't think much about how to frame that shot. Mm -hmm. But now that everybody has a camera on them, basically 24-7, people have gotten better at framing. You're still going to get those people who cut off people's feet because they don't frame (laughs) have the whole body in the shot. You mean my my husband? Is that who who you're talking about? (laughs) He's not alone. Let me tell you that. Oh, goodness. (laughs) I think he makes it his life goal to make sure I look as awkward as possible in whatever he picture he takes of me. I think that's his, I think that's actually what he's trying to do. (laughs) He's very good at it. So with that said, that said, I should say, yes, you can't have when you're having somebody do installs and just like any other task that you would assign an employee, whoever is the best at taking photos, have them be the one to get the Mm -hmm. shot. When you talk about retouching, that's something that you would do if you're going to blow this up and put it as a big banner or on a, as a mural on your wall or something like that. If you're putting it on social media, there's no need probably to do that. You can do your own little auto phone touch-ups and I'm sure it'll look great. If you're going to blow it up and make it a really big deal, then you'd want to spend the money probably to make sure it looks its best. The main thing with social media photos is having the shot framed properly. As you said, you can do, you know, auto-correct on the phone to do it. Obviously not as good as having somebody who's a professional with Photoshop or what have you. However, for something that you could take the photo, get it posted right now to start getting an instant response from your followers on social media, it's more than sufficient. Yeah. And I think people like the authenticity of that too, right? That it doesn't mm-hmm. feel as staged. You know, I think that's that's supposed to be part of the point of social media, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, on that, especially if you tell folks, hey, we just did this install, our guys took this photo, yeah. then now it's a shows that you and your people work together as a team on it and how thorough your team is. So it's a good reinforcement of the quality of customer service. Yeah. So we have a panel that we ask the same question to in each issue of the magazine. And so we asked them this question not that long ago. And so now I'm going to ask you, if you could design the perfect hot tub store, what would that look like? You know what? It would really depend on where the store was located. Okay. Because each region has got a different feel to it. That's true. So if this gets back to you want the store to appeal to your core customer base. Right. Yeah. This is where knowing your customers is. I, I always tell people every business competes on three things, price, quality, and customer service. Most stores are really good at one of those three. Yeah. If you can combine two of them, now you've got to step up on your competition. But the retailers who do really well combine all three. And on price, it doesn't necessarily mean you're the cheapest. It means you've created the most value at that price point for that product. So creating the ideal store is create an atmosphere where people feel comfortable and they want to be there. That means not just with the look of the store and the visual merchandising, creating that atmosphere, the, the what aromas you have, what mm-hmm. music you've got playing, but then also your staff to where it is a warming, welcoming, and people like being there and talking to your people. So if you yeah. can combine all those, now you've got a winning situation. There you go. There you go. It's funny, as I am in my mind flipping through the images of the stores that I've been in, you talk about your people. Yes, absolutely. You want someone who's fun to hang out with, you want to talk to, you want to spend time with. 
I have also seen, though, like people have their desks in the store and they are a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) You mean a desk that looks like mine? (laughs) Oh, man. Mine, too. Yes. But I am not in a store where people walk in and see it. (laughs) Exactly. I can close my office door and no one's the wiser. Yeah, it's I, that's always a little bit shocking to me. And it's wow, like just a little bit of tidying up. And again, like it would make you seem like a much more competent salesperson. <laughs> I understand the, on one hand, having the desk out there. Whoever sits there can keep an eye on what's going on in the store. You're accessible to your mm-hmm. customers. At the same time, as you said, if you're working, there's usually stuff all over the desk. It doesn't necessarily look tidy what have you. Not only that, but if you're conducting business, you're on the phone, there's a lot of conversations you don't want customers to hear. So I've never understood that, hey, you know, completely putting you know, yourself out there because you're basically a performer <laughs> for customers. That's so true. Yeah. that's I can't imagine having to work that way if that's how it would feel like you're sitting out there performing all day long. <laughs> I got <laughs> like no pressure as it show. is. Yeah. Yeah. So Is there anything else that you wish hot sub retailers thought about more when it came to their visual merchandising or put more effort into anything that we haven't touched on that you think is important? The main thing is it shouldn't be secondary or a forgotten aspect of the retail process. Mm -hmm. It's an important integral part. It's not just pretty pictures, they're sales tools. Get them, use them as such, make sure those images reflect what you're trying to create. And if you do that, then sales definitely will increase. Yeah. And I like to thinking through that it really doesn't matter the size of your store to be able to, to do a good job at this. I think, I feel like recently, at least in the magazine, we have featured some retailers who have built out these beautiful brand new showrooms and they look amazing and kudos to them. Like they did a fantastic job it looks great. But you know what? Like if you're not building out a brand new 30,000 square foot showroom with all the bells and whistles, it doesn't mean that you can't have a beautiful store. You can have a 2000 square foot store that is also beautiful and welcoming and gives your customer a good experience. So I just, sometimes we get that FOMO. (laughs) Oh, if I only had, if I only had Jeff Bassmeyer's store, because his store is gorgeous. But you know what? You can have a small store and still do a really good job and still have a beautiful place that people want to come. A lot of small stores do re- have really good dollar per square foot sales numbers. If you have a small store, one of the things that you want to look at is doing alternate merchandising displays to where you may only have room for one or two tubs on the mm-hmm. floor. That means that you need to have some sort of imaging or display that shows all the other options that Mm. people can get. So they don't think, here's the two things I can buy from you. That's it. Yeah. So now it gets to the smaller the store, the better you have to be at utilizing the space available to you. Yeah. That's the biggest challenge. But there's ways to do it. And if you do, you'll see increases in revenue. And people will say, wow, I didn't know that you had all that. If In most cases, if you don't show them, they're not going to know. In some ways, you have to be a little bit of a better salesperson. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, are you ready for the Spa Retailer 5? Absolutely. Okay, great. 
it'll be a little different for you since you don't actually sell hot tubs. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember your first sale, your first customer, obviously not a hot tub product, but what you sell and create, do you remember who that first sale was to? Or what yeah, it was. Actually, the first manufacturer that, that I worked with. Oh, yeah. It was actually with, with Manufacturer First. Yeah, okay. that was uh, Anthony Brennan at Saratoga Spa. Oh, sure. Yeah, I know Anthony. <laughs> That's so interesting. What What was your first real job? First real job? Like W-2 job. <laughs> oh, got a re- okay. got an actual so, paycheck. Let's see here. Because I, when I was 13, I started my first business. Oh, you did? So, yeah, so I was always more of a self-starter got it the that's okay now i want to know what your first business was at 13 (laughs) that might be the uh, more interesting story (laughs) a lawn cutting and bush trimming perfect yeah so that was back before battery powered stuff so i had to haul everything around in a cart (laughs) to go door to door hey i can cut your grass and trim those hedges for you oh man i would have hired you (laughs) (laughs) i it's been a long time since the kid has knocked on the door and said i'll mow your lawn (laughs) Yeah, every once in a while, we don't get uh, too much for for the lawn, but we get a lot of snow shoveling. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. A a friend of mine, though, his son started, I believe he was like 14 when he started his, and his business is phenomenal. So he's doing so well. It's amazing. That's awesome. All right. So what would you say is the worst product or idea that you have ever, that you've ever tried? Do you have, do you look back and say that was a failure? Tried selling or purchasing? Uh, It can be, I guess we could go either way. Uh, I am such a skeptic on things that I, I really kind of avoid (laughs) those things. Yeah. So I haven't really had anything I did from a business standpoint. Yeah. Probably one of the, if you're in business, you've got failures. Yeah. You don't, nobody does it without, because if you don't fail, you're not trying. But so back in 89, with uh, my video production business, I had put together a plan for realtors to fo- focus on the transfer market, people going, moving from one city to another. Okay. And I told them, we will go in and we will do shoot a video of the home. And then you can send the, the prospective client a video of the house, Mm -hmm. send them six houses to choose from so they can see the exterior, walking through the house, what the flow of the design is like, everything, and absolute failure. Yeah, I I think you just before, you were before your time. Yeah. Pretty much what we do now is just that we don't have to actually mail each other cassettes. (laughs) No VHS tapes through the mail. But I was told People will never buy houses just by looking at pictures or videos. I well, said, well, I, I think this is something that could work. Nope, it'll never work. Clearly they were wrong. You just had bad, you just had <laughs> bad timing. As they say, everything's about timing and mine was Ooh. really bad. <laughs> oh man. So what would you say is the biggest game changer you've ever tried in your business? With the, the business I have now, where I put together the team of all those different people that I've met in all of my journeys yeah. where I have my, my, on the media side, I've got the, the radio people and the voiceover folks to where the whole point of it was any, when I started it was that any aspect of a, an entrepreneur, small business, what have you could, could work with us and whatever they needed. They mm-hmm. needed help with a business plan. If they needed help with the marketing promotions, or they're doing trade shows, helping with that, 
or if they needed say the visual merchandising part of it or the media part of it we could we were a one-stop shop so gathering my all those people from my journey and all those different fields together as a team that's when it all clicked yeah yeah you know it i feel like for me too whenever i think about what's the best thing i've done in my business it's 100 percent. it's always a hire <laughs> That's always made the biggest difference. Like you can have good products, you can have all these great things, but if you don't have the people, it doesn't really matter. And so it's once you get your team in place, that is when you just really feel like you got something. Every aspect, whether it's internally or to a customer, it's all about the relationship. Yeah. If you have a team as an employer, if you have a team of people who really work well together, they complement each other skill set wise, yeah. style wise, what have you. you can't ask for more than that. The the customer side, if they feel, as you said, comfortable. Yeah. If it's not just, I'm not just buying something from you. I like you. I like coming in and talking to you. Mm -hmm. I feel comfortable enough to tell people you really need to purchase from these people. That's when, you know, you've won. <laughs> Do you have a favorite book or TV show podcast, something that you either like for either to learn from or just to relax and entertain yourself. There's a lot of, it's hard, to, hard for me, hard to narrow it down. That's me too. Yeah. The, there was a book, it's an, it's an old book now, the 22 immutable laws of marketing mm. that I really like. I go back to that one regularly. A lot of times when I read to escape all of the business stuff that I've been articles and everything that I've been reading or writing or during the day, I'm a big fan of the Fletch series of books, Gregory McDonald's. Yeah, sure. So I like yeah, to escape yeah, yeah. into those. So. Yeah. No, that's great. I, I'm the same way. I read and write so much for work that it's really hard to get excited about reading a nonfiction book <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> I really want something where I can turn my brain off. So fortunately, I've got a lot of different interests. So I can skim through different things to try to keep myself fresh mm -hmm. at the same time. Yeah. I also try not to be too influenced by other things. Yeah. To, yeah. To where it's like, you want to learn from it, but you also don't want to, you know, end up where you're just repeating what somebody else right. said in an right. unoriginal way. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And that's actually a good point. I always cringe a little bit when people read a book and then they're just all in on that system, <laughs> even if it doesn't <laughs> really work for like their, what they're trying to do. And you're like, okay, you bought into that one. <laughs> exactly. You know, that, that's kind of like, you know, I'm a, I'm a music fanatic. So when you, you go in someplace and you'll look at used CDs and you'll see and if it's like someplace that doesn't have them categorized, it's mm -hmm. amazing how you'll see every album that was CD, whatever, that was hip for a certain yes. period of time where there's, there's a big, big push. Oh, if you, this is like the coolest thing. You get all those people who jump yeah. on the bandwagon. Every one of those albums you will see on that CD, CD rack, there will be like uh -huh. 20 of them. <laughs> oh yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. Those kind of one hit wonders that everyone's really into for a yeah, little it's while. It's like, why did I buy this disc in the first place? <laughs> My husband and I went to a Chance the Rapper concert a couple weekends ago. And it was really, we were only there because of circumstance, not because we're a big fan and we felt a little out of place, but it was a good time. We had uh -huh. fun. <laughs> Yeah, he's a good Chicago guy. It's like we we get in there with it was in a college stadium and we're in there with all the college kids and it's oh I feel old. <laughs> <laughs> the the opposite of that is I I actually do a podcast about music and I'll have guests on and I'll look at it and 
I have a guest that I'm really excited to, to talk with, but then I'll tell somebody who's 30 years younger than me, they'll say, who's, who's on your show this week? And I'll tell uh -huh. them and they're like, who's, who's that? that? And I'm like, they were in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You never heard of this band? And they're like, no. <laughs> it's oh, like I simultaneously feel old. Yes. <laughs> they go, yes. At least I was excited. <laughs> oh man. I had that happen a while ago where we were playing a game and part of the game, they asked a question about, it was like, would you rather be Tiger Woods or Jesus? And they go, who's Tiger Woods? <laughs> I was like, how is this possible? Like, I am not that old, right? Like Tiger Woods. <laughs> but then you're like, I guess we are. I guess we are. That the 13 year olds don't know who you are anymore. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. No, it was really for fun. It was really yeah, fun. no, it was really fun to get you on and talk about a different topic than we usually do on the podcast from a different perspective. So I really appreciate it. Not a problem. Anytime. I enjoyed it. All right. Thanks a lot. The Spa Retailer Podcast is a production of Spa Retailer Magazine. Let us know what you think by leaving a review or emailing us at podcast at spa Thanks for listening.